Good morning. It's such a beautiful Friday morning, such a beautiful sunny day. <coughs> and it's just wonderful to be with you today. A little later than normal, but it's just wonderful to be with you today. And I would just love to open and pray. Father, I want to thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. I want to thank you for your anointing. I want to thank you for your peace. I want to thank you for your presence. I want to thank you just for the absolute brooding of your presence today. And I want to thank you for your glory. I pray such an anointing over these airwaves today. And I thank you, Lord, that you will speak to the hearts that you've intended to speak to. I pray that your words will carry glory and power and grace. And I want to thank you that you will be glorified in the mighty name of Jesus. Morning everybody, it's Kathleen De La Hunt and it's Let's Chat. And this morning I'm going to be sharing with you about something that's a little bit unusual. <clears throat> it happens every now and again. But um, I had a dream two nights ago. In my dream I was preparing to preach a sermon. And I was preparing to preach on Psalm 4. And I was busy studying it and looking it up and, and, and getting the heart of the psalm. And I woke up saying... I wonder why David wrote Psalm 4. Well, obviously, I had to go and find out why David wrote Psalm 4. So today I want to share with you about why David wrote Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. And as I share this with you, I share it with you with the revelation that many, many, many people have carried the pain and the hurt of the situation that David was carrying pain and hurt about when he wrote Psalm 3 and Psalm 4. You know, friends, there are three types of divisive spirits described in the word. The one that we so commonly quote and talk about is when Jezebel was divisive with Ahab and she used his authority and she got everything that she wanted under the guise of pleasing the king. But she was a seductive spirit. She was drawing people into false religion. She was drawing people away from the Almighty God. She wanted to be worshipped. She wanted to get all the glory and the honor and the praise. And she used the power of Ahab to get there. And the authority of Ahab to get there. And we see that that type of undermining spirit is not wanting to split a kingdom. They're wanting to control a kingdom via the real king. They do not want to split the kingdom. They need to use the king to get what they want. And that's a very scary, seductive, divisive spirit because it divides the hearts of people, but not away from the king as much as from the almighty king, from God, from the almighty Lord. And so that's the way a Jezebel spirit works. Now, we know that a true Jezebel is a principality and that principality is over countries. But we know that somebody that is operating under that type of division operates in a similar fashion. And it doesn't mean a male or female, it's a type of person. And then we see in number 16, where um, a, a Moses was confronted by Korah. And it says in number 16, verse 1, that Korah, the son of Eshah, and the son of Kohath, and then a few other sons, and 250 leaders of the congregation rose up against Moses and Aaron. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and they said, you take too much upon yourself 
for all of us are holy. You're not the only ones that can hear God, for we are all holy. We can all hear God. And they exalted themselves up against Moses. And they said to Moses that you raise yourself up against us. And friends, Moses' response to 250 of the leaders with, um, with Korah rising up against him is that he fell flat on his face before God. He did not defend himself. He fell flat on his face before God and he asked God to work in this situation. And he said, God, you choose who you have chosen to lead the people. And we know the story goes on and eventually it says in, in Numbers verse um, 32, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, all 250 men and their households and their families and Korah were swallowed up. The earth tore open, swallowed all of them up and covered over them as God proved that Moses was the man that he had chosen to lead the people. Well, now many years later, here we see David. And now I'm going to be sharing with you some of the story of David from 2 Samuel verse chapter 15. But I'm just going to go back a little bit and share a little bit of the, of the background story. So we see in 2 Samuel 14 that, um, and a little bit in 13, that David's son Absalom, who was described in verse, chapter 14, verse 25, now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his feet to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. <clears throat> And when he cut his hair once a year, it was so heavy. <coughs> Excuse me. It was so heavy that it that it weighed two hundred shekels, according to the king's standard. Excuse me. <coughs> oh, had a little bit of hay fever. So we see that Absalom was the most beautiful, handsome man in all of Israel. He was a king's kid, he was spoiled, he was indulged, he was extremely good looking and he got everything he wanted. Well, he also had a beautiful sister called Tamar and his older half-brother was desperately in love with Tamar and she was a virgin and um, he was desperately in love with her and he wanted her. And so what he did was he actually forced himself onto her, he tricked her to come and serve him, and then he forced himself onto her and he raped her. And his name was Amnon, and Tamar was the beautiful princess, the, the daughter of David and the sister of Absalom. Now, David wept when he heard this and he was very angry, but Absalom carried vengeance in his heart. And for two years, he plotted how he was going to get his brother back. And after plotting for two years, he deceived David. He lured his brother to him and he murdered him. Now, David was absolutely shattered by this news. And so it says in 2 Samuel 13 verse 34, Absalom fled. And for two years, Absalom did not come anywhere near David. Eventually, he moved back to Jerusalem, but David still did not see his face for two years. And eventually, David beckoned Absalom to come to him, and he said to him that he forgave him. And it actually goes on to say, 
um, Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king, bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So we see that Absalom carried vengeance in his heart. He plotted for two years how he was going to get his brother. He did get his brother. He killed him. And then he was banished from the kingdom by, by um, King David because David was horrified that he killed his own brother. And for the two years that he did not come before David, he was plotting in his heart how he was going to get vengeance against David. Eventually, he was allowed to come back. And he came to be with David, but then he started the plan that he had been pl plotting all the while. And so what he did was he positioned himself. Listen to this. Um, Absalom would get up early in the morning. Now, Absalom would rise early. This is now 2 Samuel 15 verse 2. And stand beside the way of the gate. So at the entrance gate to the city, he would stand next to that. Um, so it was, whenever anyone had a lawsuit to come to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, if only I were the judge of the land, everybody's suit and cause would come to me and I would give him judgment. So we see with Korah, Korah is a spirit that's attached when a whole lot of the leaders of a church decide they want to run the church. They don't think that the, the man that's running the church is doing a good job or the man that's in charge of the community is doing a good job. And so they raise themselves up and they elevate themselves and they position themselves to come against the man that's in authority. God hates that. Friends, I want you to understand that whether it is somebody behaving in the same attitude as a Jezebel, whether it's somebody behaving in the same attitude as a Korah, or somebody behaving in the same attitude as Absalom, they are all divisive spirits. They are all programmed by the devil. The program, the exactly the same pattern happens over and over and over again. They all cause great destruction to the body of Christ. It grieves the heart of God. And it's never, ever God. God positions leaders. And some of them are good and some of them are bad. But God knows exactly what he's doing. And whether they are good leaders or whether they are bad leaders, God does it so that the body of Christ can grow up, can mature, can learn, can have character building, can learn to go deeper in the word. You know, I've often said that the best training I ever had was when God led us um, to sit under a leader that was completely off. He, whenever he quoted scripture, he misquoted it. He used it for his own gain. He'd elevated himself up above the body of Christ. We needed permission to be able to go to the prayer meeting, to be able to go to any meeting in the church. No one was automatically allowed to be part of anything. You, only the select few and you had to be selected. It was absolutely offline. And yet I'm so grateful to God for the season that we were there. Because friends, I would never have learned to know the word of God if we'd not been there. You couldn't trust one word the person said because he was so off that we had to go back and study the word and find out what does the word say. And it was the best time of my life because I got to know the heart of God and the word of God like never before. And I'm eternally grateful for a leader 
that was leading with the wrong motivation. Because by being part of that, I grew closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why God allows it. Why did he allow Pharaoh? Because he wanted the Egyptians to be able to dominate and control the Israelites to prepare their character for what he wanted them to have in, Can in, in Canaan. God knows exactly what he's doing, friends. And we cannot rise up and think we can do a better job. <clears throat> We cannot rise up and try and usurp what God is doing. And unfortunately, what you sow, you reap. And we see that David had the most perfect opportunity to rise up above Saul. Saul was a bad king. He led the Israelites into absolute destruction. Yet David would not touch Saul's anointing. And we see with Jezebel how she manipulated Ahab. We see with Korah how they rose up and said, we are also holy, we also hear God, and we have decided, well, they decided their own fatal disastrous end. And friends, what you sow, you will reap. And now we see with David, his own son, who had vengeance in his heart, rising up against his father. Why has he risen up against his father? Because he felt he could do a better job. Because he felt that vengeance was his, he killed his brother. When his father wasn't happy with that, he decided his father was unjust. Friends, you know, the most painful thing in the world is when your son rises up against you. When somebody that you've poured your life into, when somebody that you've loved with everything within you, when somebody that you've trained up, you've given them all, everything they have, you have prepared their giftings, you've prepared their abilities, you've given them everything. And David gave his sons everything. They had everything he could, they could possibly want, even to the degree of spoiling them. Excuse me. <clears throat> and then... This young man plots to take vengeance on his father. You know, friends, the way that it always happens is that people that want to usurp sons, Absalom spirits that want to usurp leadership will always position themselves among the people. Be very, very careful of leaders that position themselves among the people breaking down the leadership destroying the leadership that say i would do a much better job i've got your interest at heart when they start puffing you up and patronizing you they don't care about you they're doing it for their own sake you have to understand this they're doing it for their own power it, it, it breaks my heart to see it happen I've been in a situation recently when exactly this has happened an absolute spirit has risen up in a congregation won the hearts of the people to themselves and have split the church. Friends, it is horrendous. It is absolutely horrendous. God hates it. And when you've sown that, guess what? You're going to reap it. You're going to reap the results of that. It is heartbreaking. And maybe that's why God led me to, to teach on Psalm 4 because he knew how broken my heart was about the situation and how broken his heart is about the situation. Well, so Absalom rises up. He plots for four years how he's going to do it. For four years he plotted how he was going to rise up against his father David. So he positioned himself at the gate. He would gather the people to him. He would very subtly suggest to them that David didn't care about them. 
that David really wasn't interested in their case, which is exactly what an Absalom type spirit does. You know, he judges too harshly. You know, he's too harsh a leader. He really doesn't care about you. But I care deeply about you. Why don't you vote for me? And everybody goes, oh, shame. Look how badly they've been treated. Look how terrible it was. Meantime, they've destroyed. They've destroyed their own family. Meantime, he killed his brother. Meantime, he was held accountable for something that was horrendous. And friends, it's exactly the same. It's usually somebody that's held accountable for bringing destruction in another area. And then they plot this little scheme of winning the hearts of the people. And that's exactly what Absalom did. And he did it so carefully. And then he invited a whole lot of leaders. He went to his father and he said, let me go to Hebron to go and pray. How beautiful and righteous doesn't that sound? So David said, yes, yeah, sure, go do that. So off he goes to Hebron. <clears throat> But he invites a whole lot of the leaders to come with him to Hebron on uh, the they going under the, 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 the pretense that he's going to do an honorable thing for David. And once he gets there, he says to them, declare that I am now the king. And he sends a message throughout the whole of the country and smiles throughout the whole of the country to all the contacts he's been made. And he said, declare that I'm now the king. And so suddenly David gets the message that Absalom has usurped kingship and he is now the king. And David's heart is absolutely broken. And once again, the people want to rise up and just go and destroy him. And he says, no, I'm going to leave. And you know, Moses said, let God decide who the leader is. I'm not defending myself. He fell flat on his face before the Lord. And he cried out to God. He said, God, you decide who you want to lead the people. And God destroyed Korah. And David does exactly the same thing. He said, God, you decide. And he was heartbroken and he was weeping because his son had undermined him in such an evil ploy, such a well-calculated ploy, such a way of absolutely deceiving, manipulating, being the seducer. That Satan was in the Garden of Eden and his heart was broken and he fled and with him fled some of the people that believed in him. And so did Zadok, who was the Levite, the high priest, and he brought the ark with him. And David said, stop, stop, don't do this. Take the ark back to Jerusalem. You see, friends, David said, please don't touch the things of God. Please take it back. If God is for me, I will see it again. And if he's not, I won't see it again. But take it back. Because David's heart was not for himself. David's heart was always for God. Absalom's heart was for himself. And Absalom plotted all of this to gather, gather favor, to get people to go with him. And Israel went and they supported Absalom. And Judah went with David and Judah means praise and we see how he left the country and and along the journey there was a there was a, a family member or Benjamite along the journey that that added um, fuel to the fire and cursed him and he was cursed by this man and again the people said let us go and deal with him and he said leave him if my own son can do this to me how much more a Benjamite and he was saying you've stolen Saul's kingdom you've done all these terrible things and he said just leave him 
Just leave him. David was not prepared to fight for himself. He would fight for his people, but he would not fight for himself. It was up to God. And in that state of mind, that heartbroken, that place of absolute despair, David wrote Psalm 3. And I want to read that to you because it's just absolutely amazing for me how in this horrendous time of heartache and despair, David could pen these words in his prayers to the Lord. He said, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? He's crying out to God. Many are saying to me, God will not deliver you. But you are a shield around me. O Lord, you bestow glory on me and you lift my head. Now, so many of us sing that song, that you're the shield around me, the glory and the lifter of my head. But we don't realize when it was that David sang that. To the Lord I cried and he answered me from his holy hill. So we know that David was weeping before God. Oh God, you, you're the one that surrounds me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. And he cried out to the holy hill of the Lord. And then it said, I lay down and slept. I awoke again because the Lord had sustained me. And you know, just I just marvel at this. How many of us when we are anxious and weary and... Uh, Sorry. <coughs> and we worried about something. We'll be awake all night worrying. We're full of anxiety and we won't be able to sleep. But David cried out to God and he went to sleep. <coughs> and he slept peacefully, friends, because he said, because the Lord sustains me. And you know, the thing that I marvel about David is every time that he was in a crisis, every time that he was anxious, every time that he was worried, he ran to God. He cried out to God. He declared his anxiety before God. He declared the things that was upsetting him. He said, I'm surrounded by enemies. There are enemies everywhere. Oh, Lord, but you are my shield. You're the one that bestows glory on me. You're the lifter of my head. You're the one, Lord. You're the one. I'm surrounded by the enemy, but you're the one. And then he lay down and he went to sleep. Why could he sleep, friends? Because Jesus, the Father, was sustaining him. He said, you, O Lord, sustain me. And friends, that is such a key to learn. It's such a key that he did not hold his concern or his worry upon himself. He did not think, how am I going to find the solution? What am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? He did not have vengeance in his heart. He did not plot evil. He did not go around deciding what he was going to do. He just gave it to God. He wept before the Lord and he went to sleep. And the Bible tells us in Samuel that David was weeping and the people were weeping because of what Absalom had done. But he gave it to the Lord and he went to sleep and he said, Lord, you sustain me. And then he said, I will not fear. Friends, the thing that keeps us awake with anxiety is fear. But David would not allow a spirit of fear to grip his heart. He says in verse 6, I will not fear. The tens of thousands draw up against me on every side. I marvel at that. How many of us can say in a time of crises like that, I'm going to sleep well and I'm not going to fear because God is the lifter of my head. 
What an incredible man this was. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemy on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. In other words, take away their power and stop their mouths from speaking. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your people, may your blessing be on your people. And so as I read that psalm, I was absolutely blown away by how beautifully David could cry out to God, give the problem back to God, ask God to silence the accusers and say, God, I'm not going to fear. It doesn't matter how many of them there are. It doesn't matter what's surrounding me. I will not fear because you're my shield. You release glory and you're the lifter of my head. I'm going to go to sleep. I love that psalm. I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I want to say to any one of you today that is, that is battling, that's in a time of anxiety, do not step into anxiety and fear because it's you trying to solve the problem. Give it to God. Give it to God. Give it to God and then trust him. Trust him and speak to yourself and say, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to allow fear to grip my heart. God has got this. Don't plot anything. Don't plan anything. Don't think about how you're going to silence the avenger. Don't think about what you're going to say. Don't think about how you're going to defend yourself. Give it to God. And then he wrote Psalm 4. And he wrote Psalm 4. And this is the one that I dreamt about. He wrote it as a song. He gave it to the director of music to write. And it says, answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. So he just cries out to God. He says, O Lord, answer me. Be merciful. Hear my prayer. Then he says this. How long, O men? Will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? And so now he's addressing the, the people of Israel. He's addressing the, the people that have been there to support him. You are living under delusions. And friends, I want to say this. If you've been seduced by a divisive spirit, if you've been seduced by somebody that's trying to undermine leadership, get out of there. Get out of there. You may not think the leadership's doing the best that they can be, but God appointed them. Get out from under the influence of somebody that is deceiving you. They are delusional. And David says this. How long, O oh men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek God's? And why did he say that? Because the people were making a God out of Absalom. Absalom was the most handsome man in Israel. He was full of pride. He was full of arrogance. He was full of vengeance. He was full of evil. He was full of hatred. He plotted murder against his own brother. And now he's plotting murder against his father. And David is saying, how long are you going to follow this? He goes on to say, Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Once again, David does not defend himself. He says, know the Lord. And know that the Lord has set apart the godly. And friends, when you know God, when you are led by the Spirit, you can recognize deception. You can recognize delusions. You can recognize seduction. 
You can recognize the undermining of leaders. You can recognize people that are power hungry. Know the Lord. Know the Lord. Know the Lord. <clears throat> know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are in your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Now, friends, that is one of the most powerful scriptures. Psalm 4 verse 4. In your anger. So it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry about the situation. It's okay to be upset by what's just happened. But do not sin. Instead, go to your room and search your own heart. What does he mean by search your own heart? Well, <clears throat> don't say, why has this happened, God? God, what do I need to learn from this? What could I have done better? Is there anything that I should have done or could have done to make a difference in this situation? What is it you want to teach me? Search your own heart. Don't point fingers. Don't accuse. Don't defend yourself. Search your own heart. Go to your room. Why does he say that? He says withdraw. Spend time with God. You are angry. You've got the right to be angry. <clears throat> David had the right to be angry. His son had undermined him and plotted for four years. His son that he trusted had seduced a whole kingdom to himself. David was angry, but he didn't sin. Friends, how did he not sin? He didn't brood on that which had caused him anger. He searched his own heart. And friends, this is one of the most powerful scriptures there are. Psalm 4 verse 4. When you are angry, don't sin. Go to your room. Search your own heart. Because by doing that, God is going to teach you something. God's going to show you what he wants you to learn in the situation. God wants us to learn out of every situation, good and bad. He wants us to grow through situations, good and bad. He wants us to take the situation and turn it into his glory. Even if it's a bad situation, because he turns everything good. And so it's really important that we listen to David's counsel. Get angry. But don't sin. Go to your bed and search your own heart. Such wise counsel. Such a powerful scripture. Then it says, offer the right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. What is our sacrifice? It's a sacrifice of worship. Bring your bodies a living sacrifice of worship. Praise God. Worship God. And trust in God. I cannot stress enough. The importance of Psalm 4 and Psalm 5. Psalm 4, verse 4 and verse 5. You know, when I woke up having dreamt about preparing this scripture, I knew God was putting focus and importance on it. And I want to say to you, friends, we're going into a time where there's going to be more injustice. We're going into a time where things are going to happen that we're going to think this isn't right, this isn't fair. We're going into a time when the righteous are going to be undermined. More and more and more. God has said that. But do not sin. 
Do not run into your own anxiety. Do not run into your own worry. Do not try and solve the problem. Do not try and spend night after night after night worrying and thinking about how you're going to defend yourself and how you're going to bring justice. Be angry, but do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your heart and be silent. Don't say things that you're going to regret afterwards. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. <clears throat> Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy. How amazing is that? In the midst of his greatest heartache and despair, he says, let your light shine on my face. Let your light shine on my face. You have filled my heart with joy. Friends, in his presence is fullness of joy. We can find joy in the saddest, most desperate moments by just bringing a sacrifice of praise to God. Um, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grains and new wine abounds. Greater joy than when you're celebrating and drinking a lot of wine and, and, and eating all the new grains. Greater joy than a celebration. Greater joy than a party. You, O oh Lord, in the midst of my deepest distress, have filled my heart with great joy. Friends, that is an amazing scripture. I will lie down and sleep in peace. Why? Because in my anger I didn't sin. When I went to my bed, I, I weighed my own heart. I then offered the right sacrifice of praise and worship. I put my trust in God. I found the joy of the Lord. And I lay down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Friends, Psalm 4, verse 4 to 8. If we can learn that, we will never again stumble in our walk with the Lord, no matter what happens, no matter who plots what, no matter what evil comes against us. I really want you to understand something. What I sow, I'm going to reap. David never sowed division. He did not divide the kingdom. He did not touch Saul. He did not hurt Saul. He did not destroy Saul. He did not slander Saul. He did not do any harm to Saul. He waited for God to work in the life of Saul. And God raised David up and positioned him as king. Now, David is in a place where Absalom is undermining him, dividing the kingdom, causing chaos, bringing upon David everything that David never ever sowed. David withdrew. He wept. He came to God, he cried out to God, and he put it at God's feet. And friends, when we do that, what you've sown, you will reap, and God will fight on your behalf. And I want to say to anybody that's ever been in a position where they've been undermined by their own family, their spiritual family, where they have been hurt by the very people that should love them the most, do not sin. In your anger yes of course you feel anger this is injustice but do not sin do not sin go go to your room judge your own heart 
Why do we need to judge our heart when we're the victim here? Because God hates a victim spirit. God hates a person that feels sorry for themselves. God hates it when somebody lies there feeling sorry for themselves and feeling everybody else should. No, no, no. What could you have done better? What could I have done better? How could I have approached this differently? What should I have done that could in any way have prevented this? Take it before God and deal with your own heart. And I'm going to read this again. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your heart and be silent. Don't complain to everybody. Don't grumble and groan and, and keep undermining the very people that are undermining you. Do not defend yourself. Be quiet. Offer the right sacrifices. Romans 12 tells us, offer your bodies a living sacrifice and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, what can show, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon me, O Lord. You have filled me with joy, with, filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David, twice in Psalm 3 and in Psalm 4, he talks about going and sleeping in peace. Friends, that is a gift. It is a gift to a man that knows that he does not have to solve anything. It's a gift to a man that knows fear cannot grip his heart. That even in the midst of so many enemies, fear will not grip his heart. Well, and Samuel, it goes on to describe, and if you want to read the story, please read it from 2 Samuel 15, 16, 17, and 18. And we see how he gathered all the people we see how David fled across the Jordan. We see how the, the sons of Judah came with him. We see how he would not allow the priest to bring the ark from Jerusalem. He said, you leave it there. That's where it belongs. I'm not touching the glory of God. And then we see how um, um, Absalom listened to the counsel of his men. And he raised up an army to go and find da fight David. And David said to the men, you can go and fight them. But please don't bring harm to Absalom. Please don't bring harm to Absalom. And Absalom was scared of his dad and he was scared of the army that his dad had because he knew they were mighty warriors. But they went and the very thing that was Absalom's pride and joy, his hair, when he was on his donkey, he went and under an oak tree and he got stuck in the tree by his hair. His hair got matted in the tree and he was hanging in the tree. And one of David's men took three javelins and threw them into his heart. And then others came and they killed him hanging in that tree. And then they dug a big hole. They threw him into the hole and they covered the hole with rocks. And then they sent somebody to tell David. And David's heart was absolutely broken because his son had died. And the men had to come to David and say, do you love us more than you love your son? Do you love your son more than you love us? We've supported you and you are weeping in the room about your boy and you're not leading us. And David rose up and he went out. And once again, he led his army like a mighty man. But friends, the very thing that Absalom loved, he loved himself. He loved his hair. He was full of pride and he was power hungry. And the very thing that he loved ended up being his greatest disaster. And he got stuck in a tree with his hair and he died there. He perished there. And I want to say this to you, friends. No one can reap what they haven't sowed. No one. 
The enemy is always going to bring division. Because God is the God of unity. And you know, the unity of God doesn't mean everybody looks the same, does the same, and is every, everything's exactly the same. The unity of God is a symphony of uniquely beautiful, wonderful people all playing music to the same God, all bringing glory to the same God, but everybody in their own unique way and their own way of doing things and their own sound and their own flavor and their own beauty. God is a God of unity, friends, and it doesn't matter how clever the scheme and it doesn't matter how right it seems, but if there is division and if there's any form of dividing the body, breaking up the body, destroying the body, usurping leadership, it comes from the pit of hell. Don't touch it. Don't go near it. And don't make any decision over what you think is right and what you think is wrong. It is evil. What does God do? God does things in a way that everybody prospers. God will multiply. He will, he will take a big group and, and, and divide it into two groups for the multiplication. But don't dare gather people to support your cause against that which God has put in place. And don't dare follow somebody that is trying to seduce you and tell you that they've got something and what they're offering you because they will always appeal to you. They will always appeal to stroking you and making you feel, feel good. And because as human beings, we love being stroked. It's so easy to fall for the ploy. But remember, that's exactly what Satan did to Eve. Don't fall for that trick. But friends, more than that, when injustices happen to you, when your heart is broken, when you're feeling like you can't go on, when you're feeling like there's, there's just enemy all around you, grab Psalm 3 and 4, especially Psalm 4, verse 4 to 8. Study it. Take it to heart. Don't you be the one that's going to solve your problem. Find your joy. Search your own heart. See what you could have done differently. And then let peace overwhelm you and rest in peace while you know God is working on your behalf. Friends, been in ministry a very long time. I've seen all of them. I've experienced all of them. I've lived under all of them. Seen the church split by chorus spirits. Righteous men that come in and say, we have all heard God. Well, where are they all today? And what happened to them? Seen Absaloms, people that you've poured your life into, that you called your own, your own daughter, your own son, turn round and destroy you. But where are they today? Broken, hurt, what you sow you're going to reap. And you know what, friends? God will redeem. He redeems those that do what David said. In your anger, do not sin, but search your own heart. Go and bring the, the, the worship sacrifices. Find the peace of God. Find your joy and enter into peace. God bless you, beautiful friends. I pray that this has been helpful. I pray that this is something that you can take to heart. You know, the Bible says in the last days we are going to be deceived by false prophets and we're going to be deceived by false messiahs. What does deception look like? It looks like the character of Satan. It looks like division. It looks like power hungry. It looks like bringing glory to man. But friends, God is the only one that deserves glory. 
Let our glory always be to him. And let our hearts always be to seek him, search our hearts and live in peace and live in joy. And whatever you do, do not be part of any form of division, grumbling, groaning, destruction, because Satan, the enemy, the devil comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. And God will never bless that which is empowered by the enemy. But he comes to bring life and life in abundance. And where the Lord is, where the Spirit is, there is unity. And God commands his blessing on unity. Bless you and until we meet again, goodbye. Father, I want to pray. I want to pray for every single person who hears this message. I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you will work deeply in their hearts. I want to pray, Father God, that you will just so sovereignly empower your words, that your word will not in any way go to waste, but will multiply with good seed. And I want to pray for the most incredible revelation of how big you are, how enormous, incredible eternity is, and how small we are. I thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Goodbye, friends.